Hi, this is Kendra. This is Olivia. And Josh. And you're listening to Our Music Oddcast. Today we're going to be talking about Mayhem, uh, the band, and also the crazy murders, arsons, and all of the kind of crazy debauchery of the Norwegian black metal scene back in the early 90s. Yes, and this is going to be our first two-parter. And this is actually... This is part one, right? Yeah. Okay. And this is actually (laughs) also (laughs) the first episode that we've had to record again. So that's also fun. (laughs) And for people that don't know what exactly black metal is, it's just like it's another and more extreme form of metal. Some of the roots are from like British bands and some, I mean, really influenced heavily by bands like Bathory and Venom. And it really picked up in Norway, you know, with what we're going to talk about today. And it has like more emotional shrieking vocals and they wanted to have like an evil sound. So sometimes they would record like with shitty mics on purpose or like, you know, put like a mic in a big room. So like it wouldn't sound good. It's got a lot of like speed picking. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just so much to it. Um, There's a lot of anti-Christian. similarities to like death metal, but it is definitely different. Um, Yeah. But yeah, just kind of in that genre, very dark uh, lyrics, uh, a lot of like satanic stuff. Yeah, um, the concepts are definitely satanic. Fun. I know the death metal vocals are much more, they're lower and like growlier. Yes. And like then you were saying, then the these are more black like metals, shrieking vocals. It's higher than shrieky a bit. Yeah. I mean, you can't understand what any of them are saying, but. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But that also, I mean, sometimes they're not in English, so. There's that too. Yeah, it's I don't you're not supposed to get it. I don't know. Like Dark Throne and uh, yeah, there's just so many different bands. I I'm a big Dark Throne fan personally. Yeah. I don't know. Did you end up watching the the black metal documentary? I think it's called like Sound of Evil. We watched some of that, didn't we? Well no, I was asking Kendra. Oh, no, I didn't. I unfortunately I didn't have the chance to. Okay, because that um, Fenris guy talks metal a lot. Is like something I've heard a lot of like rumors and lore about over the years uh, since I was in the metal scene for a, a big spin of my lifetime. So yeah, good times. <laughs> yeah, that's really good because we watched that, and then we also watched the movie kind of based on some of these stories called Lords yeah. of Chaos. I didn't think it was a great documentary, but it was no. very informative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you were just wanted to learn what happened in the scene and what people were thinking, et cetera. So, yeah, it was actually kind of hard to watch at points because they have this musician that's like actively, like deeply cutting his arms during the documentary. They're filming it. And it's like, oh God, I man, can watch like terrible. all kinds of horror movies and, you know, pretty disturbing stuff. Like, cause, you know, it's, I mean, even if it is based on true story, but I don't like watching a person like actually harm themselves. Maybe like, it was fake. That guy really cut his arm. Bad. It looked really deep, but I don't know how. I think it was real, but that's just me. And he was like cutting his his neck too. And I was like, Ew. yeah, it was awful, like awful, awful, awful. Maybe it was fake. I don't know. Like, yeah, like I think magician it was real. type stuff where they had a, a knife that squirted blood or something. I don't know. It looked real though. It looked really real. Yeah, it was probably real. Yeah. Like, that makes sense. But kind of ma- syncs up with the whole vibe, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it was. So, Yeah, Mayhem was started by bassist Jorn Stubert, or Necro Butcher, drummer Keitel Mannheim, and guitarist Oystein Arseth. And please don't 
blame me if I say these names wrong. I'm trying really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Probably all wrong, but that's okay. Yeah. um, Euronymous was Oystein Arsath's stage name because they they all have these names and yeah, all, like I'm rappers gonna, and had names. Yeah, I'm going to try to mostly refer to them by their their metal names. Kendra, did you have a metal name? Uh, Kendi Overthrow. Okay, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's more of my punk rock name though. But yeah, punk, punk bands right. and thrash metal bands. It was Kendi Overthrow. Yeah, I never had a I never had a name. I don't think, but I was never really metal or punk. So yeah. <laughs> Oh, to be in my early twenties again. <laughs> I don't want to be in my early twenties again. Yeah, but Euronymous was vocalist for the band in the early days. They started when they were all around the age of sixteen and began by playing covers by Black Sabbath, Motorhead, Celtic Frost, Venom, and Bathory, which you know we we'll talk about a lot. The three put out their Pure Fucking Armageddon demo in nineteen eighty six. And shortly after, started working with session vocalists Billy Nordheim, or Messiah, and Sven Eric Christensen, or Maniac. Soon after, they released their Death Crush EP in 1987. And this was through label Poserscope, music formed by Euronymous. And he, you kind of learn that he also kind of takes on that role of like producer, and he wants his own label, and eventually has his own little yeah. label out. But I they like put, the name Poser Scope, though. That's like that's pretty funny. I agree with that. It is a good one. They only had a thousand copies of this, and they sold them pretty quickly. Euronymous was instrumental in the early success of the band, like Richie Edwards that we talked about in our, one of our last episodes. He wrote letters to magazines and to you know places so they could get shows, and really kind of built up the hype of the band and got them a following early on before they'd even released any music. But they did play live shows pretty regularly as well. You know, I don't, I don't know why I didn't say this earlier, so I'm just going to throw it in. Yeah. But like, I do remember that there was a quote from like an TV or VH1 documentary or whatever about metal back in the day um, that. The, you know, the U.S., like, we have big exports of movies and, like, a lot of other countries have their own, like, cinema and they have, like, certain genres. And for Norway, it's black metal. Right. Oh, yeah, definitely. The number one export. It's true, though. I mean. Yeah, they're like, our biggest export is black metal. (laughs) Yeah. It's a commodity. If you, like, look at, like, all the biggest names in black metal, like, they're not wrong. Yeah, and, I mean, Euronymous was actually also very instrumental in establishing this scene and making it, you know, I mean, a lot of other people contributed with like the crimes and other stuff that we're going to talk about in this episode, but getting the art out there in the beginning. Absolutely. Like just like how Sweden's kind of like known for like the Swedish sound or like the D beat and everything like that when it comes to like crossover type stuff. Yeah. Um, Norway is definitely like the champion of black metal. So it's kind of cool that like a lot of the bands that we're talking about today are from Norway. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're fine, because I don't think I said that either. We were talking about bands from Norway, so. Yeah, I just uh, just wanted to throw that in there before we keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting fact. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, the band was very underground. They created their own hype and distributed recordings themselves. They created what they considered a more serious image than some of the other popular metal bands at the time. They wanted to attack the establishment by discussing darker topics like Satanism. And it was, you know, it 
It was kind of like an imagery thing too, like they the whole like satanic thing. Like, I, what year was this? Like nineties. Well, they started because Satan came back big. They started whole, in eighty six. Okay. But yeah, because the there whole like satanic move, thing, the of, whole satanic, satanic panic thing came of the eighties in the late eighties to early nineties. I think this kind of contributed to it. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Like this was like this band was still like underground enough that it wasn't on the spectrum of like the mainstream for yeah. that, but it definitely contributed to it because like it would be bands like Mayhem and stuff that they'd be referencing, but like mm-hmm. they only knew of like the popular music like Judas Priest and stuff like that or the whole Satanic Panic thing. Right. Yeah. But yeah, you know they discussed these topics, but it was really more about like freedom of religion more than actual Satanism. Yeah, just kind of like more of a defiant, rebellious stance on it. Yeah, early on, they, um, when they were still practicing in Euronymous's basement, they even bought a copy of the Satanic Bible from the U.S., and they studied it in his basement together and discussed the different topics. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) which is funny because you just picture like teenagers kind of doing weird stuff, you know. Playing Dungeons and Dragons and then reading the Satanic Bible or something, I don't know. Quit making fun of my high school life. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, Dungeons and Dragons is fun. No, I wasn't making fun of it. I was just... Yeah, Yeah, as the band started to get more hype and black metal started to become more of an underground phenomenon, the band found themselves looking for a new vocalist and they received a package with a letter, a demo tape, and a crucified mouse from former Morbid singer Per Olin. That'll get your attention. Who, but also like crucified mouse, like right, and it was rotting at the time. Well, I'm like sure that's it was. disgusting, but also like what a fucking statement. Yeah, right. I mean, it worked. Like, it I'm not, worked, I'm not right. like saying that that's cool or whatever because I don't ugh, like. I would probably vomit if I got that in the mail. But, yeah, that'd be terrible. Um, yeah, what a statement. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is I think that they lost the letter, and you know, of course, like threw away the the dead mouse. But luckily, he did put a demo in there that had his contact information on it. And he went by dead. And he's a very, I mean, he, it's funny how much of a role this guy plays in everything. And he was, you know, in the band very briefly. And also, you know, it's it's funny because he wasn't involved in a lot of stuff, but like directly He's the after. catalyst. It was yeah, like, he really is. And I mean, he was even what shaped a lot of, their image even further, they got like very much like they got darker. Their sound got more intense after he joined the band. They also had Jan Axel Blomberg or Hellhammer joined as drummer on that time too. But yeah, they were very impressed by his vocals. And soon after he was an official member of the band in 1988, dad was very depressed and he was obsessed with death after a near death experience at the age of 10 due to a ruptured spleen he displayed symptoms of Kotar delusion where those affected believe that they are dead or rotting. They, you know, sometimes think that they don't even exist. Or in his case, he thought that his blood was frozen in his veins. And he kind of like ran with this whole image and he would bury his stage clothes, wear the corpse makeup, sleep with dead animals under his bed. And he even, this might not be true, but there's a rumor that he even buried himself under his bed for, or, it, um, I don't know why I said it, in a coffin for three days 
I don't know how that would work. I mean, you could do it. You could do like the little air pipe, yeah. but it might just be one of those stories that's like made up afterwards. Urban like, legend. To Basically, like contribute the, to the lore of... This guy was hardcore. Whether he did that or not, he was, he yeah. was in it. He was all in. And the reason that he... They said that the reason that he wanted to be buried is because he wanted to get that death fungus under his eyes. That, you know, you see... When you oh. see like dead bodies, you see kind of... Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like a darker... Like fungus that starts to grow before, like while their body's rotting. Oh. He wanted that, like a real fungus, which is gross. Um, like it's interesting too because I pulled up an article about the origins of corpse paint because uh, talking about this, like yeah, the typical like where black metal bands will like wear the face paint to look like they're dead, and um, dead from mayhem really is the one that brought that to the scene and he's yeah. the one that kind of popularized it even though it had earlier origins of like King Diamond and other you know metal bands as early yeah. as like 78 um, and like the Misfits and all that kind of stuff but like as far as like actually trying to authentically look like he was dead like he's yeah. like kind of the pioneer in that stylization huh. yeah and then during shows he would cut himself with like hunting knives or broken glass. And Kendra, I remember you even mentioning his ritual before shows about the crows. You mentioned this. He also had like a bag with a dead crow in it that he would breathe in because he wanted, <laughs> like, he, I forget what you said, but yeah, it was like, breathe in like, dead animals and like would like make that like his perfume. It was like absolutely ridiculous. And like he, yeah. he would, uh, yeah, keep a dead crow with him, and he would, like, smell it, like, intensely, like, just, like, huff this dead crow, so he could have the smell of death in his nostrils when he hit the stage. I admire his, like, <laughs> I don't know, just, there's something I admire about being that into it. Dedicated? Right? I think all the stuff he was doing was dumb. It was original. He was also 17 when he joined the yeah, band. Yeah, it's just... So he was a young guy. He was depressed. He was an introvert before this. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, he had, and like I said, he had the, that Kotar delusion or possibly had that Kotar delusion. It said that he was also bullied when he was younger, pretty bad. And that might have even caused the ruptured spleen. So yeah, it just seems like there was a lot going on with this guy and maybe needed some, I mean, he needed help for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Poor thing. (laughs) I'm no, I'm no expert here. This part of the story is like really, really, really sad for me. The but whole thing's really sad. But it is, is like bad. none of this needed yeah. to happen. The band members moved to an older house in the forest near Oslo in 1990, which doubled as their rehearsal space. They were working on material for their debut album, De Mysterious Dom Thanis, which means the mysteries of Lord Satan. As with any group of people living together, they didn't always get along. Dad even slept in the woods one night after getting annoyed with the synth music that Euronymous was playing. <laughs> I I think that's that's really that's fun. Fair. That's fair. Yeah, there was even a, a rumor purist. that he stabbed Euronymous after an argument at one point, but also, you know, yeah. rumor don't know if it's true. Euronymous on several occasions encouraged the extremely troubled dad to commit suicide. He was really like he liked what he brought to the band, but then he also kind of took advantage of like what this guy was struggling with for like his own personal gain as you'll, you will talk about in a few minutes. Okay. 
On April 8th, 1991, Euronymous came home to find dead, had committed suicide in their home. The scene was especially gruesome. He had slit his wrists and throat before shooting himself in the head. Euronymous quickly left the scene to go by a disposable camera and then staged and photographed the body. He then gathered pieces of skull fragments, which he would later make into necklaces, before finally calling the police. Now, what's interesting about um, that story is, like, it's kind of, like, what built, like, the whole lore yeah. of Mayhem. Like, I had never heard of Mayhem or anything. I remember being at a party when I was 16, and, like, my friend was telling me, like, when it was playing on the record player, they're like, yeah. okay, so this band, though, <laughs> is, like, and that was, like, the first thing I ever heard about black metal, really, was, like, yeah. that this guy blew his brains out and that, like, different musicians around the scene were given chunks of his fucking skull mm-hmm. as, like, tokens of how fucking metal they were, which I think is beyond fucked up. Oh, yeah, he would only but, give uh, these necklaces to okay. the people that he thought were, like, worthy enough to wear them. Yeah. And this yeah. caused... You know, the band to fall apart for a little while because Necro Butcher received a phone call from Euronymous after it happened and he said, like, oh, Dead just did something extremely cool. And he was like excited about it and told the guy, and you know, he's thinking, like, oh, this human being that I know, like Necro Butcher was thinking this, is dead and I'm really sad about it. And like this guy took photos and he said, you know, don't contact me again until you get rid of those photos, which he sent to Columbia Records and it ended up being the cover art for one of their, you know, for the Dawn of the Black Hearts. Yeah. Which is, that is even legal or is this maybe that's just it poor taste? It shouldn't be legal. It's very yeah. poor taste. One thing that's kind of cool about that is actually Necro Butcher had it reissued and they, he put a different picture on. Thus because, making the original worth a shitload of money. I know, but <laughs> don't look at it. Like, please yeah, no. do not Google this picture and look at it. It's extremely disturbing, and it's really hard to get. Like, it, you can't unsee it, and it's really sad. But I think it's also kind of, I think a lot of um, everything that we're going to be talking about from this point on is kind of like you can look back at this point of like where Euronymous has no concept Mm-hmm. of respecting other people or taking it too far. Right. And it's also, you know, things don't end well for him. And it's 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 extremely sad still, even though, like, he made a lot of mistakes when he was young. I, I It's not one of those where you're like, oh, I'm glad, you know, whatever happens to this guy happens. It's just, like, none of it needed to happen. They could have just, like, put out their music and been, you know they could have been like these big bands and still like had some of the views, but just not done what they did. And it's, it's really, it's crazy. It's a very crazy story. Yeah. Unfortunately, all the stuff they did overshadows the music in my opinion. It does. It's, it's really sad, but he used dead's death to push his personal agenda. He said that dead killed himself because metal black metal had become commercial <laughs> which and, it hadn't yeah and really like there were letters found that he had written shortly before he died where he was talking about how he wanted the band to be successful and he yeah. was glad that they were you know starting to get hype and what was happening and i'm going to read his the letter that they found at the scene because i think it kind of i think it's important to to hear what he had to say 
but yeah. it, it kind of also gives you an in, like some insight into kind of like his mental state at the side at the mental state at the time. He says, "Excuse the blood, but I have slit my wrists and neck. It was the intention that I would die in the woods, so that it would take days or take a few days before I was possibly found. I belong in the woods and have always done so. No one will understand the reason for this anyway." To give some semblance of an explanation, I'm not a human. This is just a dream, and soon I will wake. It was too cold, and the blood kept clotting. Plus, my new knife is too dull. If I don't succeed dying to the knife, I will blow all this shit out of my skull. Yet I do not know. I left all my lyrics by Let the Good Times Roll, plus the rest of the money. Whoever finds it gets the fucking thing. As a last salutation, may I present Life Eternal. Do whatever you want with this with the fucking thing. Pella. Hey, that was his nickname. I didn't come up with this now, but 17 years ago. And that's a translated version of his suicide note. Damn. Yeah. Wait, they had a cars record in that place? I guess. That's I'm pretty sure isn't is that not a cars record? Let the good times roll? I think so, but that would be like the least metal thing they could have. Or maybe it's the most metal thing. I don't know. Yeah. And to Euronymous's defense, because I'm being kind of judgy right now about his motives and taking the photographs and you know some of the stuff that he said afterwards. But he claimed that finding his bandmate's body was such a strong experience for him that he wanted others to have the same experience. I can imagine that it would be very traumatic and maybe how you view like walking into a scene like that might get kind of mixed up in your head. Like maybe he had problems that he was dealing with too and kind of came out as him being like very cold and harsh about the situation and very disrespectful. I don't know, but just, you know, to to kind of share his view on that. Right. But yeah, the, his lack of respect towards his friend and bandmate led to the deterioration of the relationship with other band members and, Necrobutcher didn't even speak to him again for years. And he even he even made comments that if Euronymous wouldn't have died, that he probably would have killed him himself. So So he didn't like him? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. <laughs> to put it to put it lamely. Yeah. <laughs> Not the biggest fan. <laughs> yeah. And you seem it seems like a lot of people say that. Euronymous really changed after Dead's suicide. He started to get more caught up in this image that he'd created for the band and started acting like a character he'd created around people that didn't know him as well. In May of 1991, he opened a record store and hangout spot called Helvete, meaning hell. He sold black metal albums that he approved of, and it also housed the band's distribution company called Deathlike Silence Productions. Euronymous and several other friends who were mostly musicians, lived there as well. And there was like a steady rotation of friends that would live there off and on. Um, Singer Occultist briefly joined the band, but ended up leaving after receiving death threats from from Euronymous. Around this... (laughs) I'm I'm so curious as to like what he did to receive the death threats. I know. (laughs) Yeah, around this... Yeah. You know, in... At this point of the story, like before, like everything starts to, you know, really go insane. You kind of wonder if it, like any of it would have happened 
if Dead had lived or if they just would have been a band. And he might have, you know, still kind of said some of these things yeah. in his lyrics or done these things or if, like, it would have happened anyway. I mean, we don't know, but I, I would say point. probably not. Yeah. Maybe not to the extent. I don't know. I agree. Yeah, around this time, Euronymous started hanging out with different people, some musicians and some death metal enthusiasts. He, you know, started to act more extreme and he liked being idolized and started calling out musicians that didn't follow a set of rules partially created by himself about how they needed to dress and act and live. This approved group of elite black metal musicians called themselves the Black Circle and often met or hung out in the Helvete basement. There are rumors that some of these kids were into some darker stuff like satanic rituals, animal sacrifices, and even drinking blood and assaulting Christians. The usual. Yeah, but like I said, it's you know rumors that that, that happened. The group seemed to feed off of the extreme behavior of each other, and they also kind of wanted to like prove to each other like how like metal they were by like okay you're gonna do this i'm gonna do this instead that's a real metal thing or a punk thing like i'm more punk than you because i I know (laughs) stapled my hand to the desk twice it's met it's just like a lot of sorry go ahead i don't know it's the same thing for metal there's just like a one upper type mentality that and it's just like also like those two genres are like extremely like gatekeepy for the most part yeah I was like joking with my friends and they, you know, were the ones that taught me how to be super pretentious, which I'm not anymore, but you know, some of those old habits die hard. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just funny. Cause we're like, in general, like most like growing up, like in the early thousands and stuff like that, like when I was like a teenager, like it was so pretentious. Like if you were called a poser, like that was like the worst insult. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it's like, oh my God, I can't believe they said that. Like, and it was like, those are fighting words, you know? Yeah. Whereas like now it's like, I don't fucking care. Right. Right, right. But yeah, they also, it's like, they wanted to show their commitment to like the black metal scene and like the idea. Again, there's something I just sort of admire about how the lengths and just the, like the cult, like. I mean, maybe, but just like not. Like, no, I don't. Don't actually commit no, crimes, no, I'm not but like you can that live done. that way, like believe that stuff. But but I mean, imagine just, if like, you were like that in a people. positive direction, and you had just had that kind of oh right drive. Yeah, Euronymous met Varg Vikernes or the Count Grishnak soon after. He was from the band Old Funeral, and then had started a project called Burzum. He, um, Euronymous put out the first Burzum album in 1992 on Death Like Silence Productions. The two were friends at first, and they even, it was, they were like co-conspirators in a lot of this stuff. They sent death threats to metal bands that didn't dress properly. I think like one was because they wore Hawaiian shirts. And they That's even, not very metal. Yeah. <laughs> they even planned to kidnap these Swedish, music, Swedish musicians so they could bring them to Norway and kill them. And one thing that's kind of interesting, because there was like drug use and drinking with a lot of these people, but Varg didn't. He Straight he de- edge. Yeah, there was another name for it. I don't remember what it was exactly, but um it was just like this kind of like lifestyle he'd committed to where he didn't he didn't do that stuff. He also w- seemed to be like a little bit more serious about kind of the talk or like the stuff that they would 
mentioned that they would do, like he actually, like if he said he was going to do something, he didn't. And like one of the things that you hear commonly about Euronymous is that he was like mostly talking little action. Like he, he, you know, he portrayed himself as like really like this big black metal guy and he was evil and satanic. And then like, he didn't really do anything to support that idea. And that that's kind of what started, you know, the deterioration of their friendship because Varg, was the complete opposite. Where it's like he enough. said something, yeah. he was going to do it, and it it frustrated him. And there was also, you know, money and other issues involved as well. But on the sixth of June, nineteen ninety two, Varg set fire to the Fantofste Church in Fana near Bergen. The original church was built sometime around eleven fifty, and a new replacement for the medieval church was started in eighteen seventy nine and finished after being moved in pieces in eighteen eighty three. A picture of the burnt remains was used on the cover for the Burzum EP Ask, meaning ashes. It might be Aska. I don't know how to say it. In 1993. The material was recorded in August of 1992. There was an attempt on May 23rd of um, Storvait Church in Bergen just before the Fantoff Stave Church that failed. And I don't know why that didn't work. It might be, there's a book called Lords of Chaos. It might be in there because Varg did contribute a lot of information to that. And you can tell that, you know, he did have a lot, you know, he did have a say in, you know, what was published. Later, right. later in 1992, Euronymous resumed working on the band's debut album, De Mysterious Dom Sinanthus, with added musicians to replace Yorn, Necrobutcher, and Dead. Varg played bass and then Snore, Rutch, or Thorns on rhythm guitar and singer Attila Sissar from Band Tormentor. The behavior of the black circle and even the people outside of the group began to escalate. People would call Helvetta and tell them of crimes that they planned or committed. And, you know, they kind of get like, I don't know. Yes, with each other. And they, they almost started acting like, you know, like mini terrorists, I guess. And I say mini, they were like in their early 20s, so they're not kids, but they're... Also, like, brain's not fully developed. It also kind of had, like, this, like, gang mentality, too. It was. Yeah, in August of 1992, Bard, Itham, or Faust murdered Magne, and he was from, he was a drummer of Emperor. He murdered Magne Anderson to death in Lilyhammer at Olympic Park. He either lured the man to the park or was... He said attacked, but possibly like felt up by this guy at the park. That part's unclear because you only have information from one person because he, you know, he murdered this he man. Did, yeah. But the man was homosexual, and they said that that was, you know, why he murdered it him. He was targeted, yeah. Yeah. But he was stabbed 37 times. And while That's he laid dying, he was kicked repeatedly. He called. Helveta after the murder and Varg and Euronymous told him to come to the shop and not to go to the police. And that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Yeah, and at first, like he, pr- like he pretty much got away with it for a long time. Um, the group found the escalation of crimes exciting and cool, and they also felt like they were untouchable. I mean, if no one had gotten arrested for that, it's like, well, yeah, that's pretty much as bad as it gets. Yeah, and this obviously, is like, this is away a sidetrack, um, but, like, Emperor, that band that that guy's in, yeah. like, they have the most 
absolutely ridiculous music videos on YouTube. Really? <laughs> like, I don't think like I've ever 100%, seen it. If you're ever bored, like look up Emperor music videos, but I challenge you to find Emperor music videos, but they put it to the song um, Sugar, Sugar, or something like that by Aqua, like the people that oh. have the girl. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I am the candy man. It's like absolutely <laughs> so funny. It's amazing. Um, I don't know if he was in it during that music video or like what the timeline at all is. Yeah. Um, obviously, I don't want to support uh, someone that murdered a gay person. Right. Um, because, you know, as a queer, I'm not, absolutely not cool with me. But if you want to laugh at that band, you can definitely watch that mashup because it is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not cool with murdering anybody. Right, right. Like at any time. Yeah. <laughs> not cool. For right. any reason. <laughs> On August 23rd, 1992, Euronymous, Faust, and Varg set fire to the Holmacolin Chapel in Vestra Acker Borough of Oslo. The original chapel was built in 1903 and designed by architect Holger Sindink Larsen. Varg and Euronymous also planned to blow up the Nadaros Cathedral to coincide with the release of De Mysterious Dom Sinanthus. Luckily, they weren't able to get enough explosives to carry out the job. On Christmas Eve 1992, Jorn Tunsberg from Old Funeral and Immortal set fire to the old Asan Church in Bergen, possibly with Varg. This church dates back to the 13th century first mentioned in historical records in 1598. The old wooden church was eventually replaced with stone in 1795. Many historic artifacts and artwork and works of art were lost forever in the fire. The group viewed church burnings as retaliations against Christianity in Norway. And they were also, like, they all wanted to go back to, like, the old Norse gods. And they were angry that some of these churches were built on spots where there used to be, like, Norse temples. And a lot of these people, like, still today hold those views. Because, you know, a lot of them are around and not the, not even that Instead old. Instead of burning all the churches down, they should have started a different church yeah. and worshipped the Norse gods. That would have been... Right. They could have done that. Yeah, and... I think a lot of the mentality with black metal against Christianity stems from like uh, Christianity really kind of uh, being took forced over upon. in so many countries oh, where yeah. it's prevalent, and uh, yeah. a lot of traditions everywhere kind of got colonized um, by Christianity. So I understand that there's like a lot of resentment against that religion in general around the world. Yeah. Um, which I'm not like you know like to each their own, whatever. Yeah. Um, I get their but, viewpoint. I do. Like, I'm, yeah, it's 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 fascinating though because it's like some of the traditions, um, like from the Catholic Church, are taken from pagan holidays and stuff like that, like Easter, mm-hmm. even like with the eggs and all that, are from pagan holidays. So this is true. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're just kind of like vocalizing some, you know, long-standing resentment that specific countries have against that religion. Yeah, I mean, they really believe that the Christians destroyed their culture and pagan roots. Yeah. Yeah, in 1992 alone in Norway, there were nine burnings, including those we discussed, and then 19 more through 1995. This even inspired four metal musicians from the band Necropolis, and they were from 
Tunbridge, Wales, to vandalize seven churches and one cemetery, causing over 100,000 pounds of damage. And I know we talked about it before, but the movie Lords of Chaos that talks about, you know, all of this stuff, it, it, it was a book also, but it was directed by Jonas Ackerland, who was briefly drummer of the band Bathory. So it's kind of interesting to, you know, it's, it's good that somebody that understands the scene and the, I mean, yeah, really the area to tell the story. I, I do, I think that the people that they picked for the roles, I think it was very well cast, like very good actors for it. I liked it. It was good. Oh, they did a really good job. Rory Culkin plays Euronymous and Varg is played by Emery Cohen. And then Dead is actually played by, um, I think his name's Jack Kilmer. He's Val Kilmer's son. Oh, no yeah, you can tell when you see his face. Yeah, I didn't um, think about it. And I thought that they all did a really wonderful job. It's it's a dark movie, and you know, you know, from what we're talking about, but definitely worth watching if you kind of want just like the basics of what happened. And I, I do think some of it was like kind of sensationalized, but still, like you get the idea at least. Right. Yeah. But yeah, end of part one. So the rest of it, we're gonna. It's gonna get even crazier. Crazier Ooh, than like murder and church burnings? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, yeah, you guys make sure to come back. Uh, we should be putting up part two soon. Yeah. Um, check out the merch that we have for sale now. Very exciting. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, tell a friend or leave us a review. Like us if you do. Share, like, on- subscribe. Is yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would be great. Also, uh, where where would one find the merch? It's on an Etsy page, and we we'll put a link on the Instagram. I yes, think. I'll put it on the Facebook page as well. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this has been our music podcast, uh, the Norwegian black metal scene, part one. Yes, mayhem. All right. We'll see you for mayhem. part two. Yeah, or mayhem. Part one. I just wanted to say mayhem. (laughs) One of one or the other. Whatever. It'll be on. It'll be up. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. All right. All right. Yeah. Bye.